This particular podcast is a personal pleasure for me because I'm talking once again with a friend who, before we established contact uh, last week, we hadn't spoken in 10 long years. Um, yeah. Crazy, isn't it, Ale? Um, so just to give a very quick introduction, Ale, I met in uh, Parma when I was living there. He's the first Belgian midfielder I played football with. Um <laughs> And yeah, Kevin, he doesn't know anything about football in comparison to Ali. Um, yeah, and at the right. time, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I had to say it. Um, <laughs> at the time, you were into is it advertising and marketing. Um, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, thanks, Zach, for having me here. Uh, by the way, yeah, my Belgium roots, definitely. It was a lot of fun, like there in the midfield, right? Mm, with you. Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, um, it was a good team, wasn't it? And I mean, the the name of the team was quite interesting. Il <laughs> poeta, right? Mm, absolutely, poet. yeah. the poet. Was there any mean, poetry that we were like, you know, sort of playing in, in the field, or <laughs> for yeah. that level was sort of um, <laughs> not yeah. of fun, I'd say. It was definitely fun. Uh, I don't think the type of football we played was particularly poetic, but. The um, the camaraderie, the uh, the relationships that we sort of very quickly developed. I think you could consider that in some ways poetic. Um, and here we are, Ale, ten years or even more later, uh, talking yeah. again. Um, and and you've since moved as well, so you're no longer in Parma either. You've moved to Malta, and you're doing something extremely interesting. Um, but before we get to that. There's so much that um, I'd love to talk with you about, if you don't mind. And some of the topics may be a little bit personal, in which case, if it's too personal, just jump over cool. it. Um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, but I do remember in Parma, you invited us over. Uh, we, was, we sat down and you're kind of talking a bit about your background um, and about your traveling. Now, I want to come to the some of the subject matter that uh, sort of was related to your trip to Africa. But before that also, um, you you went on some other trips which uh, you've traveled to some really interesting places. Um, would you like to talk a bit about your travels then? Because these have really helped to sort of develop yeah. the person that you are. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, traveling has uh, always been quite a big part of like, you know, my uh my life basically i've been extremely curious since i was young i don't know if i got that from my belgium side of the family mm. or my italian side of the family whatever it was uh something that i really uh, engaged with like you know different cultures uh, uh, languages and religions as well so i sort of um let myself uh, allow myself actually to explore very different um, cultures. Um, so I did that uh, for work and for pleasure. I mean, as many of like your friends, probably they, they've been traveling, like they traveled all around the world for pleasure. Um, for me, it was like sort of like, you know, to go really to look into uh, uh, the very different um, 
kind of aspects of, of humankind somehow. And I and I develop what what am I today? Probably it's like a, a mix of different uh, experiences that I've that I've engaged with uh, throughout my life. Um, so yeah, that's right. Probably when I met you, I just came back from Africa. It was like <laughs> one of those like uh, trips that <laughs> uh, it's kind of memorable. Uh, I've been I was traveling my ex-girlfriend that you probably met, uh, Milena, and yeah. we're traveling backpacking in uh, Zambia, Mozambique, and Botswana. And it wasn't easy, of course, like it was like, you know, traveling backpacking those regions, it's, uh, you know, connections and everything. It's like um, very problematic. But uh, yeah, um, uh, what can I tell you? It was well, I mean, absolutely... Let's outstanding experience uh, from a human perspective definitely i mean um, if, if if i could also jump in because there were two stories in particular from africa and please also talk about some of your experiences in um you know in russia and in thailand indonesia as well because i'm sure these were uh, fantastic experiences for you um but we're talking about africa i mean i've i've spoken to a number of sort of different uh you know people who i've worked with um, with regards to time management, yeah, and I, I always, whenever I'm told, whenever I'm talking about time management, I always remember that wonderful story that you told me. I think traveling around Africa, you had to, I think you had to catch a coach at a certain time, and you, um, you were at a bus stop. Please tell me if I'm wrong, yeah, but you were at a bus stop, and you, there was a gentleman there, and you yeah. asked when the next bus is going to be, and his response was, "The bus will come when it comes." Yeah. yeah, it is exactly like that. I was on the borders uh, between uh, Mozambique and Zambia, and I was trying to cross the border. I mean, when we talk about borders there, it's actually like a bar, a lifting bar, uh, in the middle of nowhere. So there's no, like, you know, guard post or <laughs> wardens on the, on the border. It's actually like... You need to wait for a lift and just cross whatever border is. So I was there basically waiting for, I don't know, a few hours um, till I got someone with a coach uh, who passed by. And I actually asked him, is there anyone around here where I can ask for a lift to get on the other side of the border? I said, well, I can give you a lift if you want. Hmm. Uh, you can just sit in the back and, uh, and that's, that's how it works. So, okay, great. Uh, so we packed our stuff, jumped on the, on the back of the coach, and we started waiting. The car was moving. The coach was moving. I was like, so what's happening now? Oh, we need to wait for the petrol. What do you mean we need to wait for the petrol? I mean, uh, don't you have petrol enough to get on the other side of the border? Yes, we do have, but we need to smuggle some. All right, let's wait. <laughs> let's wait uh -huh. a bit longer. And that, like, one hour turned on to, like, sort of, four hours under the sun it was really extremely hot we were kind of getting like a bit nervous as well because like we didn't know exactly what was happening luckily i speak spanish so i could sort of interact with them uh, mozambique people they speak portuguese so we had an, a chance to have like you know an understanding of what was happening and basically i realized that they were sort of waiting for fake documents in order to cross the border uh, for the car, it was like, that's how it is, basically. So we waited and waited, and finally we, we managed to, you know, to 
take off and go. Uh, but the the road was not like you know it was like a thirty kilometers way. I mean the border was not like something extremely you know such a long journey together. But it took us like since we left, uh, it took us like I don't know three four hours because we had to stop every ten minutes to pick up some people with bricks, chickens, livestock, and other stuff. So we ended up being on the other side of the border. It was like this caravan of people it was beautiful we started interacting with like these women and 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 boys and girls it was absolutely fantastic we were really breathing uh with them and it was unusual they thought we were missionaries <laughs> okay. but, um, right. no yeah there was like a time management uh it's great in in, in africa they say yakuna matata which means take it easy uh just it happens when it has to happen Mm. That's it. Um, yeah. I mean, How long that... does it take for, for you to go from a place to another? You don't measure in time. You measure in, 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 in like distance as in like it takes probably two to three days by foot. And so when I'm back, when I'm back, <laughs> okay. I'll be back when I'm back. So mm. it's interesting. Yeah. Very, very different. Yeah, I mean, there were also occasions. I, I do remember having read books where the sort of the characters would say, you know, I'll, I'll see you on the third sunset, you know, or <laughs> um, you know, when the moon is full, you know, and so on. And you think, okay, what a strange concept of telling the time. But I mean, I mean, isn't this something that we should also kind of learn from? You know, I mean, there is so much that we could learn from with regards to uh, African teachings and so on. And, and bit by bit, I'm also becoming more aware of some of these things very slowly, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, th this concept of time, we, we rush around. We're always busy. We never get the chance to sort of sit down and appreciate things. Uh, and it seems to me this African con you know, concept of, you know, it'll happen when it happens is is really actually quite refreshing isn't it it is basically um you touch base basically with your inner self in that regards because uh, like we are sort of rooted to thinking that we need to be busy all the time and in reality it's not uh, so time management when we think about time management in, in like in work environment for instance i've been a manager in in different companies of course and time was <laughs> is a resource is a key resource but the idea of time that we have it's very <laughs> different to um to i mean we we bring time within like you know um, an aspect of like you know how can i profit within this time it doesn't mean necessarily in money wise but can profit like you know What's the benefit of like making this thing in a very accurate and efficient way in order to save time for other activities that I need to do? Fair enough. That's that. But that's not what I'm talking about. It's the idea, the concept of time within our life that it is extremely valuable if we bring in that sense of like you know letting it go, just let it go. Sometimes I do struggle myself with this mm -hmm. idea. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not. I'm far from from being there with that idea of you know being in Africa all the time. But yeah, uh, it's sort of uh, open a, a different door that I never considered before. Like you know, sort of really spiritually taking it easy, and it's important. I think meditation somehow helps 
to achieve that little moments. But if you think even meditation, for instance, um, we struggle to find 10 minutes a day to meditate, which is 10 minutes really out of 24 hours. Hmm. Do we allow ourselves to be in peace and in connection with ourselves for just 10 minutes? And it's refreshing, don't get me wrong. And it's necessary in our contemporary type of lifestyle, but yet 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're no, right. I, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I've also spoken um, you know, with um, other people. Um, I spoke with Tanya the other day about mindfulness. It was part of the, uh, the previous podcast that we had. And, you know, this sort of awareness, this awareness of what is happening around you, you know, that you really have to sort of slow down, step out of the, the fast lane, um, you know, and just sort of observe life as it, you know, occurs and yeah. become really aware what are you doing what is happening around you what is your environment telling you um, you know there are lots and lots of messages which we can actually sense but we're living far too quickly to be aware of you know and there's so much information there in the natural world in the organic sense um, that we don't really appreciate that's that's the, the the meaning of mindfulness basically you just sit and allow yourself to be present in that moment and it's fundamental if you think because we are not present we're never present just like let life go and rush behind it and we are not just like sitting and letting our observation be like you know <laughs> there uh, we should observe ourselves and life and it'd be more uh with um an unbiased uh i you know what i mean mm -hmm. unbiased sorry um mm -hmm. i yeah definitely mm -hmm. um it's normally just put our prejudice into what's uh, happening in front of us we should like step back from that and just observe neutrally yeah, it's hard, isn't it, um, to be able to Very. extract yourself from the from the moment um, and to be able to completely analyze it in in the way that it should be uh, analyzed. Um, but there is also this thing of emotions, and I it kind of leads me to another topic that you mentioned. I mean, and I I want to please also remind me later to ask you about some of the other countries that you visited. Um, but I, talking about emotions, you told us about this really, um, this deep experience that you had. And, and you told, I mean, this was more than 10 years ago, yeah? So the, the um, you know, Black Lives Matter was not uh, topical at the time. Um, but I mean, you had an experience in a bar in Africa. Do you remember how that, uh, how that story went? Uh, somehow, yes, I know somehow. Unfortunately, I still remember that, and it was a shock to me. Um, it is a, still a shock thinking that um, some type of segregation are still happening nowadays. So, basically, I was in Mozambique um, in a town called Barra, and it's like bungalows on the beach, like you know, idyllic place <laughs> where to be a digital nomad or a traveler so it was nice and uh suddenly i remember there was they, they were like you know it was ran by white guys i didn't even question why but uh eventually got to understand that um got to know that some of them or the majority of them actually were um uh, how's it called boars 
and mm-hmm. moved from South Africa to Mozambique uh, after the fall of apartheid. So they moved there, bought the land, and ran these nice places using local uh, work workers. Mm. So black people, basically. And um, what happened is um, at a point it was like, it was something really stupid happened. Um, I think one of these guy, um, uh, one of these workers was like sort of cleaning the bungalow and locked the bungalow with the key inside. Something really stupid. I mean, really like, can happen to everyone. And this big, huge white guy lost it completely. He lost it uh, over something that was like not even worth like, you know, getting getting a bar of being angry. Um, so, yeah, um, I sort of stepped in. This guy was a mountain. I mean, I'm I'm small compared to that, like, you feel like huge, typical boy guy from South Africa I was huge and and was yelling very aggressively to these, these two guys, actually. And I stepped in and said, dude, I mean, they really didn't do anything. I mean, it's all okay. It's under control. And this guy basically addressed me like saying, I can't repeat the same words, of course, but basically said you should just take your white A back to um, back to Europe, you hippie or something like that, just because it was like, you know, sort of taking the side of this guy and saying everything is under control. So eventually I didn't give anything. I took this guy and, and, and I said, we sat down somewhere and I offered them our, what we had in the kitchen. Well, once we opened the bungalow basically, and we sat down with them and the one was a painter and the other one can't remember, but they were like really humble, beautiful people. Yeah, I was kind of shocked the day after I left um, before, um, beforehand, because we couldn't stay there. Basically, I just decided that it was like horrid. Um, so, yeah. But yeah. also, if, if I remember correctly, that these two guys that you, these black workers that you stood up for, they said to you, look, there's no point because when you go, you know, we will suffer. Uh, do you remember this? Do you remember I, this? I, yes, I did. Um, actually, more guys actually came to us. Uh, like two or more of these guys came to us and said, you should let it go. It's, it is what it is. That's our, basically, they said, that's our situation. So uh, we don't own this land, although they were like locals. We don't own this land. They own it, so they can do whatever they want. They set the rules. They, they pay when they pay if they pay and uh, we, we can't choose Mozambique at the time. And I think even today, it's one of the poorest countries in the world and uh, there's no work. There's like high uh, AIDS spread infection. Uh, so yeah, healthcare, mm. it's not existent. So you, you are considered lucky if you have one of those like, you know, um, work mm. more than slavery i don't know maybe it's too far saying that but definitely was really really sad mm. and talking about 2011 so we're not talking about like during or right after the appetite uh, mm. so yeah yeah but i mean these these are sort of the tales that kind of stick with me 
um, because you know this is something which I would never have experienced uh, myself at first hand. Um, so you know to listen to to you say and and yet the thing is you know this as you said it's an extremely emotional experience that you've had and it saddens you to record it and I, I'm sorry for that and yet still when you think of Africa you think of the magic and the majesty of the country and the indigenous population. Um, and so for you, you know, your trip was, as you said before, you know, like a dream, wasn't it, Africa? Uh, yes and no, in the sense that I really let myself, um, I allow myself to explore and I was not really, you know, planning much, like, you know, going to these beautiful idyllic places like, you know, safari and whatever. I really went like, you know, scattered places like Maputo, for instance, uh, the capital of, of uh, Mozambique is, <laughs> it's, it's not idyllic, let me tell you. Uh, but I was fascinated by it, by, by seeing it, by living it. And, and that was like throughout the whole, the whole trip, even when I was like in Livingstone in Zambia or, or uh, yeah, or in Botswana. I, was, I just allow myself to merge with the local locals with local cultures so that was where where i get my interest from mm. it's not really like you know taking a nice picture of an elephant yeah that's nice too don't get me wrong it's mm. it's an it's an experience but probably more for my son who's like i don't know six now uh than for me but then it was like more interesting in people than probably nature uh because then mm. yeah you know yeah so, yeah. Was that also your approach in India or did you have a specific destination in, in, in India? No, not quite. That was very different. Uh, years before, uh, I was basically assigned from the corporation that I used to work for uh, to develop a market basically in Southeast Asia. So uh, I was based in Thailand at first, then Indonesia. Then I had to go to India, Russia. And so I traveled that region from really from from west to east was very interesting but um, that probably sense of like you know it's i don't know if it's innate or you have to you know work on your curiosity but i definitely allow my curiosity to take over onto my you know planning experience and just like go and go and explore so whenever i had time off even in thailand or or indonesia i I just went and explored. So I, I established great connection till, till nowadays. I mean, like I'm in touch with my friends in Indonesia and Thailand and, and Vietnam as well, uh, former colleagues or partners or whoever. But uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I took that um, with me even today. I mean, I am what I am because I probably come from that. So that experience in Africa was truly, truly shocking. Um, probably was a bit naive, I have to be honest with you, um, because you jump or land in a place with your, like, you know, sort of um, openness or open background, and you just like land into a place where they struggle a lot. So from my Western eyes, I probably didn't quite grasp the whole scenario behind that i i admit that but yet uh it was shocking it was like truly like you know 
I can't say on your podcast. <laughs> Okay. You can imagine. Enough. Yeah, yeah, I can understand. Um, okay, and uh, and then, I mean, okay, so Africa. Let's uh, yeah, we'll maybe maybe come back to with regards to in general sort of experiences and so on. But um, you also did documentaries in Kosovo and Morocco. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 There was a um, um, <clears throat> documenting life uh, in that sense was like part of this like journey. Um, so yeah, I've been working in an advertising agency, who I, which I founded. Uh, but at the very beginning, there was an idea of like becoming a sort of production um, company for documentaries, which wasn't successful because like uh, the market for that it's tiny and it's very very hard to find like you know fundings. And, so we sort of dropped the idea after a couple of years, but the very first two years of the of since the company was born, um, I had the sort of opportunity to shoot a couple of documentaries, one in Morocco and one in uh, Kosovo. Yeah, was was weird because like the the the, the documentary uh, from Kosovo happened a week after I came back from Morocco, so it was really bam bam mm. one after the other. Com- two completely different experiences. Uh, the one from Morocco was was about caravans, basically like uh, Berbers working and living in Europe and moving back to the desert, almost uh, on the border with Algeria and bringing back like, you know, goods, medicines and clothes and toys to local population. So we're basically documenting this, this trip um, this long trip actually took a very long, was quite a long trip, a couple of, almost a couple of months, um, a month and a half, um, where we crossed the Mediterranean on a, on a ferry from Genoa to Tangier and then all the way down to, yeah, uh, to, to Algeria. And a week after, actually, I got an email from a friend when I was in, in Morocco and said, um, you know, that I have connection here in Kosovo and I'm, you know what's happening? The Kosovo is declaring the independence, uh, unilateral declaration of independence. So, yeah, I just came back uh, to Italy after Morocco packed up <laughs> quickly and we went by car to the freezing Kosovo. <laughs> so I went from 40 to minus 10 and temperature there was reflecting the um the moment that people mm. were leaving was really cold, was scary. And uh, it was something that I never imagined of doing in my life. But yeah, crossed the checkpoints uh, between Serbia and Kosovo, find myself with a rifle in our heads because mm. we had a fake press plate on, on our car. And they let us go eventually. And so we basically shoot um, a documentary about... Uh, Serb enclaves within Kosovo during the uh, on the moment, uh, so during the day of the declaration of independence, unilateral. So yeah, 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 was was very interesting. So yeah, there's that. Yeah, I mean, it just shows the um, the, the, the diverse uh, sort of projects that you've worked on and your your interests. And you know, what really comes through is that um, you're a real 
people person you know you have a very um you know how is it advanced sense of humanity and uh, empathy uh, and that really comes through um, at least for me, you know, I have the, you know, I, I know you, and so therefore I, I could see it, you know, in, in the way that you you interacted with people. Yeah, probably we should ask my wife. <laughs> it's just the same opinion. Uh, well, um, yeah, we are, I'm, I'm interested in people, definitely. And this can, whether it's for, uh, you know, for my profession, for my career, for my work or for leisure and travels so yeah definitely that's where i i go to um exploring people uh, mm. what more beautiful is that in accepting seeing and viewing and merging with different cultures i i truly can't find anything more exciting than that i have to yeah. be honest it's not like a lifelong career it's not like you know uh, what do you achieve in your career but actually like you know having a bag of experience to grow as a human being and share it i think um, i would like to share it with my son definitely i would like him we are teaching him now how to express himself in such a diverse world and accept diversity as a not accept sorry that's that's even wrong um Embrace, embrace, exactly, embrace diversity as an opportunity to grow as human being. What else can you give back if you don't grow as human, but just as a, I don't know, as a professional? Mm. No, I mean, absolutely. I can't distinguish the two things, like being a human, a decent human being, and being a great professional. If you are both, that's great. But I can't think that you you, you are, are actually able to grow as a, as a professional if you are not a great human being behind it. Mm. I'm not saying that I'm a great human being. I'm, I'm just saying that you need to nurture that, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's important never to be a perfect human being because then the challenge is gone. You know, be, recognizing that we are imperfect means that we have to fight to reach somewhere, even if it is beyond our reach but we still always try to improve ourselves. Um, and I think that's why we have to accept imperfection um, and you know, use it as a, as a means and a motivation to challenge ourselves. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you uh, entirely. I mean, imperfection is a, is a, is a challenge, an opportunity actually, to grow and to expand uh, that imperfection to something that it doesn't need to be perfect it just can be something different or something else. So embrace that. Absolutely. It's an opportunity. You miss an opportunity, in my opinion. Yeah. Not you, as in Zach. <laughs> I, I've missed so many opportunities. <laughs> I, yeah, Same I, here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. We can't take every opportunity that comes our way. But I mean, again, um, yeah, that's... Uh, you know, mindfulness, yeah, as in be, you know, being aware of where we are, um, be conscious of, you know, what there is around us. But I think also this element of, you know, appreciating things, you know, we, we you know, I mean, you just mentioned before, you've been in some places, you experienced some really difficult things. Um, but where you are, where I am now, you know, we live in, uh, you know, countries uh, where we have to admit we are so privileged. Um, and, you know, 
if there is some way that we could improve the lot of other societies, um, I think it was at least to fight for um, minority groups, uh, to fight for those who are very good at fighting for themselves, um, but fighting alongside them doesn't necessarily damage their struggle. It should help. Um, and, you know, I hope that's what we can contribute. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to pass down this message to my son in a, in a way of like, you know, him being himself in this world and definitely stand up, stand up for what's right. That's it. I mean, it doesn't take, it takes courage, don't get me wrong, but uh, it is, I mean, what's worth living for, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you, yeah. you need to just actually see what's wrong in our society and and take a side and and make it better yeah i think it's absolutely important i mean there's this um african proverb which says it takes a whole village to raise a good child <laughs> yeah um yeah. i think that's so meaningful um uh, in so many different ways uh exactly as you say and and to be honest it also kind of makes me think now today about this um controversy with uefa and whether or not the um stadium in munich is going to be illuminated in the colors of the rainbow um, for the right. uh, the Hungarian game. Um, and yeah. UEFA has said that they can't, they shouldn't, or they, if they do it, they'll be fined. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Ali? Because, you know, if society, if it takes society to raise a good child, what message does it send if um, they don't illuminate the colours? Because um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I hope that they will illuminate it in the colours of pride. Um, and if they're fined, that's a different matter. Look, um, it takes good politics. And I don't want to go there in your podcast, of course. Go for it, man. Take, don't worry about it. Feel free. Let's, let's uh, take that adventure. It takes good politics. And, and not being necessarily enlightened, it just needs to open your eyes to what the society is screaming for, um, which is not necessarily right, but it's like there are so many big topics that are unaddressed or unseen. And, and it's, it's, it's a shame that actually politics, politicians are not really doing much for that. I mean, there are good guys up there, don't get me wrong, but definitely it's not enough. It's definitely not enough. Uh, I sometimes feel like when you read, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you do um, as well, when you read some magazine, news, newspapers, Twitters, I feel like we are from back in the Middle Ages. I do, I really feel like um, reading some comments, some opinions, and they are, uh, they are kind of like, you know, uh, really far from from what society is now um or should be or should be. or should or should be or should be probably yes definitely but you know looking back at the states um you know <laughs> last last four years been really really a, a slap in the face for many 
you know, human rights activists and environmental activists, call it whatever. Uh, it's been really, really hard. Um, so, and, and this is not just the States. Um, I could say in Europe, um, we are sort of facing the same challenges, like in a blind politics, basically. So, um, yeah, what, uh, what I do think about that uh, <laughs> is that we probably have, should have a, a, a common consciousness as ordinary people and trying to make a big um, sort of come out for that. I know it's not enough, but, you know, G8 back then taught us lesson <laughs> that it was really, really hard to fight the establishment. So, uh, but it's necessary that we keep on doing that. Otherwise, we don't progress as a society, we don't progress as a culture. We just don't have a collective consciousness in that sense. Yeah, it's like, yeah, complicated. Mm. But we should not stop uh, fighting for that, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. Uh, and I would also um, add to that uh, gender equality, um, among other things, among the issues that you mentioned as well. Um, and definitely these you know, if somebody wakes up in the morning and says, I've got nothing to do today, um, then pick a topic and then, you know, go and fight for it. Because there are so many, so many, you know, uh, ills within our society that requires support, not necessarily financial. It can simply be a thought. Uh, it can be your time, whatever it is. Um, and there's definitely something to give there. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it's gender so equality. It's, it's quite a big topic uh, still nowadays. The crystal crystal roof, um, especially in science, women like you know become rich, like you know apex uh, positions. Still, uh, it's even that. It's it's I don't know. Um, there's a there's this sort of like you know <laughs> castle that that. Like people living in a castle, they can't break through those big walls because that's the establishment. We need really need to change this. It's it's fundamental. And I think like a, a world ruled by women, it's, it would be so much better, <laughs> so much better. <laughs> you know, honestly, I mean, hey, I'm with you. Um, you know, I I think um, there would definitely be. I would like to think uh, there would be less uh, war uh, because I think, um, generally speaking, and, and it's difficult to generalize, but I think generally speaking, however, if I may, um, I, I think men tend to lean towards, um, you know, sort of flexing their muscles too often when, you know, I mean, for example, Mrs. Merkel has shown you know, there is a different way. Mm. Um, and, you know, whether somebody believes in her, you know, politics or not, that's a different matter. Uh, but the approach um, that she has shown to certain things, I think, has been really uh, to be appreciated. Um, and, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I hope it will continue in Germany with a, a female uh, chancellor. So um, I think Mrs. Baerbock would be uh, a very good choice. But, um, you know, time will tell. Time will tell. Yeah, but yeah I yeah. agree with you. Um, it will be interesting to be to live in a world ruled by um, women or other genders as well. Um, yes. I think that would be 
different, no? Because, you know, being ruled by in a world by men, um, we haven't gone as far as we probably could have done. Uh, it's, it's time to give others a chance. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a country which is very conservative in um, some aspects. Um, uh, society is really conservative and there are like expression in, in like, you know, some politics that are really like, a, uh, uh, I would say, really dark ages, um, like with family center role of men and women. Uh, I do get that, but I profoundly disagree with that. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm always trying to understand the other part or the other part, so to speak. Not in the sense of trying to find a justification, but they have their own reasons. Um, and I think it's important for a debate to really allow the other, what were really controversial to flow in and, and get that, though, I mean, <laughs> nowadays, some topics, they should be like addressed in a very different way. And I come, as I said, I come from, from Italy, which is not that uh, open to certain topics, say LGBT rights and uh, like, it's, it's still far mm. from, from being achieved, like you know, equal rights in, in that sense, far, very far. We're in good companies, unfortunately, uh, with other countries. Here in Malta, for instance, they have like you know, it's 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 interesting actually, interesting in a, in a in in a sort of ironic way. There is a law here in Malta where women cannot abort. I mean, if you are a woman um, who wants to decide, she's that decision in itself is a huge struggle. Imagine. So you are wanted to have an abortion, you have to fly abroad to have it because it's illegal in Malta. On the other hand, they have uh, gay marriage um, and they have LGBT rights uh, way more advanced than, than Italy, for instance, where abortion is allowed. So there are these like, you know, <laughs> Mm, inconsistencies, yeah. Inconsistencies, and we are talking about neighboring countries and within the same, within EU. So, yeah, that's always like a bit of an eye-opener, you know, when you look at like local politics versus what's happening in the world. Mm. So the application of like certain rules, regulation, laws on a local level are very different from what we are talking, you and I, for instance, They're very disconnected. There's a disconnection. Mm. in that sense you know yeah and i mean you 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 bring uh multi in at a good time in the conversation as well so okay what what inspired you to move from italy to malta i mean at malta i know i've heard it's, it's a lovely little island um it has a, it's steeped in history um but what, what is it that took you there um Look, it's a lovely little island, not in the last three days, because there's this hard wind hitting, hitting the island. So it's like 40, 41 degrees, to give an idea. Mm -hmm. So it can be very intense in summer. Um, it's rich in history, uh, very, very rich. And they're really proud of the racetrack. It's, 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 it's a nice thing to see, definitely. 
Um, what brought me here? Uh, my wife, she is Australian, but she has Maltese roots. So her parents were here. But that's not the main reason, actually. She didn't want to come here in the first place. She actually wanted to move to Australia. Um, I came here because um, basically in 2018, I was still managing my company in, in Italy, uh, food, wine, advertising agency, uh, digital advertising agency company, which was doing well, uh, but I actually wanted to expand uh, abroad. And Malta looked not too far um, and not not the same country because it's a sort of an Anglo-Saxon world uh, where we had the opportunity basically to, um, to interact with. So the UK, US, Australia as well from Malta. Um, so to establish operations here, so we opened a, a branch office uh, in Malta and I moved here to basically grow this uh, spin-off from uh, the main company in Italy. It happened that during the time uh, I say um, I had the opportunity to sell was kind of unexpected and probably not really wanted at the very beginning. Uh, but then I, then I let it go and then I sold the company and I kept my sort of branch office here as a consultancy firm uh, where I started doing like, you know, consultancy for other brands like into um, food and wine, which is like a passion for me. Um, and not stereotype Italian. And not in that sense, really. <laughs> uh, really, uh, like in before, like you know, uh, brands uh, who needs to um, market their products in the world, and like say um, strategic consultancy for that. Um, yeah, and it happened that during COVID, or because of COVID. Um, most of the businesses here and all over the world went down. Uh, so was mine. Basically, there was I had like you know contracts cancelled and things that were totally unexpected, um, including traveling. So, but the most beautiful thing that happened during COVID was that my daughter was born. Mm. Uh, although she grew up like seeing people with masks, wearing masks, so. Uh, now that we're taking off masks, she's sort of crying because she's not used to see people like with a thing that is open <laughs> in the face uh, for her, but she's getting, she will adapt to it. Um, so what happened that during, during uh, the lockdown, uh, I'm, I'm quite interested in fitness and action sports. I'm a climber. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but always been like, huge into climbing i love my climbing session the dolomites in i went into the andes as well in uh, south america so um it happened that uh, no one could do anything of course not going to gyms they were in lockdown or like having a having a nice session outside everyone was stuck home so i thought of um with a friend with an irish friend actually he gave me this sort of like this sparkle to develop this idea. I said, wow, that's great. Let me look it up. And no one was doing something similar-ish. Um, so I started, I 
contacted my old uh, uh, colleagues, basically from the corporation that I used to work for, one of the main digital companies in the 2000s. Um, and he loved the idea. So we started developing this concept, which we launched basically a couple of months ago. And it's a sharing, um, it's within sharing economy. I don't know if you are familiar with that. I can well, let's, let's, I can... yeah, let's, let's say that there are people, let's say that I'm, I have no idea. So, I mean, you know, please feel free to also tell us the name uh, of your company, but also tell yes. us what the sharing economy is. So, you know, pretend that I have no idea. Absolutely. Um, so first of all, the, the project, the name of the company is called Brisk B or Brisk by B-R-I-S-B-K-Y, um, which is uh, basically it's a, it's a marketplace uh, where you go and you can rent out so you can list your items, sport uh, or fitness gear, whatever you have or you want to uh, make money out of. You can rent it out, or if you are a renter, you can just go on the platform and rent your uh, favorite windsurf, skateboard, bicycle, or canoe, or a treadmill. If you are, uh, if you are wanted to do like you know uh, fitness at all, so basically it's like an Airbnb of uh, fitness and action sports equipment. Okay, you know Airbnb. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yes. Okay, good. So basically, it's the very similar idea, but uh, uh, within, as I said, the sharing economy industry, uh, which is um, was hit hard uh, the industry during during COVID. Uh, but I have more than hopes. Actually, I actually have uh, market research uh, pointing at a, at the big growth um, of this industry in the next few years. So I'm hoping that. This, first of all, is going to serve a purpose for people to share their own gear. Um, secondly, it's good for the environment. I mean, we don't need to always, like, you know, buy, 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 buy. But also, like, you can even rent for the time that you need, like, for one hour. Instead of, like, you know, buying a whole new <laughs> treadmill that you use three times a year, you can rent it out for, like, one hour uh, or a day or a week, uh, however you want. So you can appreciate like, you know, your fitness or your action, ex action sports ex experience in a very different way with more variety. So you can change your gear whenever you want without committing to buy one uh, and being stuck with that. So it comes from that, yeah, from a need actually. Uh, there were so many people here in Malta that really wanted to practice uh, fitness at home and safely because it was a matter of safety back then uh, as well. So we sort of tested the idea uh, against the Maltese market. The response was terrific. So we decided to really dive into that and uh, create this platform. And now we're addressing uh, free markets at the moment. We are onboarding supply at this point in time, which is not just private uh, or individuals, but they can be business-like. So say a gym or a retail shop, they can rent out their gear if they have or if they want. And now we are in Malta, the Netherlands and Ireland uh, mm. for, for the moment, but 
we are expanding to throughout the rest of Europe, uh, hopefully very soon. Um, bootstrapped, meaning that it's completely funded by um, by us. Uh, I'm the founder, and I'm <laughs> actually putting uh, some good amounts of <laughs> good batch of money mm. uh, to develop this. Uh, but um, soon in the future, we might have like you know private investors. Uh, but we are not ready yet. Um, but yeah, let's see. Um, we got a grant actually from uh, Molten Enterprise. Credit to them. Uh, there was this, um, yeah, there was uh, an opportunity to uh, send quality, qualitative project to Molten Enterprise. We decided to submit ours, and they said it was goods so we've been we pitched the the project they liked it and they funded us so for now so far so good mm, fantastic so i mean let's let's do an example yeah so let's say for example i've bought a running machine um and i haven't used it in three months because yeah i'm just uh, you know, a lazy git um how would i get it to you who you want to do it you want to run let's say you want to for whatever reason um, but you don't want to spend two thousand euros on a on a top top um a running machine so how do, how do you link us together yeah basically you list your uh running machine or your rower machine um your stepper uh onto brisby on the platform, you create your profile and you list your item. And then you decide uh, in a throughout an availability calendar when to rent it out. So you can say in winter, I'm gonna use it. So I'll make it unavailable for rental from January to March in April, this date, this date, this date. In May, the whole month, it's available for rental. So whoever comes to the platform and can see that Zach is renting out his stepper, his roller, his like running machine. He can decide to rent it out for the sort of uh, time that Zach has decided. So if Zach said that he can rent it out for by the hour, I can rent it out by the hour. If it's by the week, it's going to be by the week, by the day or by the month. So it's quite flexible in terms mm. of like for how long you can make it available and for how long I can rent it out from you. So it's basically what we are. It's like an intermediation service. It's again, it's like Airbnb. Mm. And then would, for example, somebody come and pick up the machine? Would they come and use it in my home or my garage? Um, oh, that's great. That's a great question. <laughs> um, so far, we allow just um, gear uh, sharing, so equipment sharing. So basically, I am coming to your place. I collect uh, your running machine, bring it home, use it, bring it back. Okay, running machine is quite bulky and mm. heavy, maybe in that sense, but say skis a pair of skis or a bicycle i just come to your place collect it use it and give it back of course all the items are insured so all the renters are completely insured so no problem with that 
Uh, now, what we are building is alongside, but it's not available yet, it's a new feature, uh, which will allow private, uh, we call them private gyms, just to differentiate them from commercial gyms, say that Zach has a room or a spare room where he has a stepper, or maybe he has a stepper, a running machine, and a treadmill, you can rent out your room, not the gear per se. So you basically can make use of your own private gym and rent it out. Like there are many garage gyms. I was telling you like in the conversation we had in, in the UK, for instance, so many garage gyms, private gyms, basically. Uh, they are owned by someone, um, but they are not used, not much. I mean, yes, they do their own private sessions, but they can rent them out if they want for whatever price they ask, for how long they want. So this is kind of a new idea that we are working on at the moment. And hopefully that's going to be a sort of, we think that it could be disrupting uh, in traditional fitness industry. Um, or at least an alternative to traditional gym members membership. So yeah. that could be something new. Yeah. So we're working on that. Uh, but it's more related to space sharing rather than gear or equipment sharing, you know? Yeah. So I rent out my, my space for that. I've seen a new concept, for instance, of uh, pool sharing, private pool sharing which is interesting that's similar so imagine it's the same concept you have a private pool you can rent it out for uh, an amount of time for the the, the price that you ask mm. same concept airbnb or, for that yeah. or a garden for example if you want to do a garden party and just, yes I mean, it's endless isn't it the possibilities um i mean what about for example like these mobile gyms uh, where you essentially have these like vast trailer um, and you can just stick lots of, uh, you know, different machines within the trailer and it, they sort of move around. And I mean, you know, I mean, there are so many different concepts, I guess, that you could, uh, you could introduce, aren't there? Love them. Um, yeah, that, that it's like, you know, sharing economy takes, um, roots within like reusing, um, the infrastructure that is available around you or the resources that are already available around you. So you don't really uh, inject in the system more resources. Like for instance, a trailer, as much as I love the idea, that would be in any case like setting up uh, like, you know, a, a truck uh, which is going around and probably to scale up that business, meaning means that you have to add more trailers, <laughs> you mm. know. Um, I like that. Uh, but it's less scalable and less less environmental friendly, I would say. Mm, no. <laughs> you know, if I come to your place, because I actually am pulling up my app and I see that there's a private gym around me that is available right now in the next five minutes, I just quickly go to Zach's place and I do my workout for like half an hour and th that's it. I am not reusing anything then what there is already on mm. the you know on the on on around me yeah so yeah. it's it's basically the, the concept of sharing economy mm. so making use of what's already available without having to you to create more we already have so much stuff around us like let's let's 
you know, dec- decrease, not increase. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no, of course. I mean, and, and this 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 concept of reusing, um, I, I think it's been with um, society for a long, long time. It's just that we we kind of went through. And, and this may be the fault of you know, these sort of large manufacturers where if they made perishable goods in a sense that it was far easier for the goods to be to perish, basically, because they felt they made more money from selling new items than maintaining or increasing the quality of the items that they created in the first place. Um, so you know, there aren't too many... Uh, for example, cars or um, you know, other kinds of goods which have a high um, life cycle, not like they used to perhaps in mm-hmm. the 80s. Um, whereas obviously what you're introducing here is that you, know, you have these, you know, I suppose, single-use items in a sense that they are used for a specific purpose. So if it's a rollerblade, yeah, so um, you, know, you don't want to use your rollerblades every day um and you know maybe they've been sitting there and you i don't know maybe you've pulled the muscle and you can't use it for the next six weeks um somebody else can come and use those rollerblades um and and yeah yeah. so you're taking advantage of the the item without the necessity of creating it again and using up more resources you don't need to buy more than what you need basically um think about uh how many times you are really using your winter, for instance. Uh, okay, I'm talking about something specific which you are likely to be passionate about. If you bought a winter, it's because you really love doing windsurfing. Mm-hmm. But realistically, how many times you're going to go out there in the sea? Unless you are in Malta, fair enough, I get that. But if you are in, in Berlin and you are passionate about, I don't know, uh, I remember there was like surfing on a fake river in Berlin, but I can't remember. I saw it once. <laughs> it's yeah, like they, they, they made this stream, um, artificial stream, where you can basically uh, surf. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're passionate about surfing, for instance, uh, how many times are you really going out there and doing kite surfing, surfing? I mean, if you're lucky with the lifestyle that we have nowadays, say 20 times a year, 50 times a year. All right, you still can rent out your gear the other days, the other times, the, the weekends that you are not going out there. And you can get some little money back or some money back if you want. You can make money out of that, definitely. Mm-hmm. And me as someone who wants to rent rather than like buying a windsurf, who I'm going to use it like 50 times a year and which I would never pay back <laughs> for the time that I'm using let me rent it out for like, I don't know, 20 euros an hour, for instance, instead of like spending a couple of thousand um, I'm spending for the time that I'm using it. Mm-hmm. And I'll change it. I can choose another one next time. Choose another one again next time. I don't need to be stuck to something that might break in the future or I might get bored of in the future. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's called rental generation. It's basically, and, and probably for uh, youngsters, they, they get that more. Uh, so owning, ownership, the concept of ownership uh, will somehow change in the future. Owning a house um, for youngsters is less likely than for 
our generation, for instance, which is like, you know, the first form of, you know, so important, so relevant. It's not really like that. And probably young generation are going to change the pace of uh, the, the idea that's behind ownership and switching to renting more than that. So we want to be there. And that's, uh, that's the idea basically behind it within fitness and action sports, of course. Probably in the future, we're going to connect with like, you know, other type of um, services. For instance, we are talking with a, with a company in Italy who's doing, um, uh, they basically have a platform for practitioners, um, say, uh, personal trainers, for instance. So you can basically, uh, throughout our platform in the future, you can rent uh, or book a garage gym and have your favorite personal trainer. You're gonna meet up there and you can you do your session if you want. Mm -hmm. So it will be extremely flexible in that sense and mm -hmm. potentially like could expand to many different type of services to okay. can provide. Yeah. And would you would that also, for example, be uh, like a, I don't know, virtual personal trainers? Like, for example, let's say there's somebody who's built up a profile. They're in the U.S., um, but has lots of followers on um, you know, on this on your platform um, in in Malta or in Europe. Um, can they book this person for a sort of virtual workout and and they they watch through the app uh, like a video link up? Um, and they could say, you know, you need to do more of this, you need to do more of that, and so on. I mean, is there, is is there an opportunity to develop it to also develop it into a communicative platform where you interact with people who would have these kinds of services? I mean, uh, thanks for asking because this is a great question. Uh, we have been looking into that model for a while, especially during COVID because of lockdown, of course. So social distancing was necess was a necessity rather than like you know something that I wanted to do uh, but there are already many um, I would say players uh, in developing ideas in that space that we might use an external third party to um, to develop that rather than do it ourselves There's, there are already many many apps allowing that uh, you know sort of connection so we may we might uh, partner up with one of these, like you know, third uh, third players, mm. uh, and, in integrate, sense, and integrate integrate with them. In a sense, reuse basically. Uh, with, yeah, we are not yeah. developing anything new in that sense. Mm. Like a communicative platform, it's great. I love the idea absolutely, and that's I think it's relevant uh, in in the future. If someone is renting out a treadmill or lifting weights, for instance lifting bars and they want to have like you know a sort of body uh total body how's it called um session with a personal trainer they can definitely do it online but uh, it will be an integration with someone who's already doing that rather than like you know building the whole concept ourselves um so we re we will rely uh, a lot on partnerships in the future definitely definitely mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, it, I mean, it sounds great, and and also this the you know, the idea, the ambition uh, to to extend it bit by bit, um, you know, into Europe as well. It, it, I mean, it's it's another Ale adventure, isn't it? Really, basically. <laughs> 
Yes, it is. It is. I put together, like, you know, marketing, my experience in the digital world, uh, advertising and marketing, together with a passion with sports in that sense. Uh, you know, we've been playing together football, which is my number one sport, of course. Mm. Uh, that I'm stereotype Italian. Sorry, mm-hmm. I go. I I get that. I I can live with that. <laughs> uh, but no, definitely climbing and everything. I bringing these things together. Uh, it it makes me feel uh, well. I think it's uh, there's there's a lot to achieve. Um, and it's a it's a it's a fun journey. I see a lot of fun in this journey. I don't see necessarily like you know. The new unicorn. I, to be honest with you, I couldn't care less about unicorns. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't care less. And I think it's a pumped uh, way of. Uh, nah, no, I probably don't want me to get there. Okay. But yeah, um, I've been interacting with a lot of VCs and like you know, uh, injecting huge money into like. Um, uh, Great ideas, don't get me wrong. And, and money is, is, is important to develop great ideas. But somehow I think way too many times entrepreneurs, they lose their, their probably it's naive saying that, uh, but kind of like, you know, the core, the main scope that put together different minds to develop a, a, a core or a, a, an, an, an original idea. Uh, sometimes they lose that scope in order to chase like money from investors and MVCs and getting this label of unicorns couldn't care less to be honest with you. Fair enough. That's, so, uh, so um, yeah, typically Alessandro, what can I say? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know what, what I like is also um, there's always room for more discussion and um you yeah you may have noticed i like to come back uh you know revisit themes talk about new things um but also it'll be i mean how how would it be sort of for you to you know for us to you know I don't know, maybe have a chat like this every every few weeks and then you can sort of give us like an update you know what's going on and you know, sort of like a diary of a startup as it were um you know, would that be something that you would uh you'd, you'd be i'd love to. to yeah i'd love to Te- really thank you for the uh, for the opportunity i i if it's not getting too boring for you sure. and your audience you know if they <laughs> um, get bored yeah, then sure. they switch off and listen to something else i mean it's freedom of choice right um sure, that's right yeah. that's right or we give them some more bits of Africa, maybe they're more interested in that, but absolutely, <laughs> I'm thrilled about that. If you want to uh, touch base anytime, and we just like you know, keep keep this conversation alive and see where we're at uh, or where I'm at, uh, that would be great. Thanks, um, love it, love the idea, absolutely, absolutely, that definitely. And, um, yeah, for me, it's also a record of a, of a, of a great chat with um, you know, a really good friend. Um, and you know, somebody who I've missed a lot over the last few years, Ali, I have to say. So, you know, I'm happy that we've managed to reestablish uh, you know, our contact. Um, yeah, lovely chat. And yeah, um, yeah it what was, can I say? Yeah. Uh, we say, we could say something in Italian because you speak Italian better than me almost. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But it was absolutely, 
amazing getting in touch back with you and um, let's keep on doing this definitely facciamolo sì dai proviamo vediamo come va proviamoci sì allora grazie mille sì dai ci sentiamo presto grazie mille Zach it's been a pleasure and let's speak soon and a mic.